You're listening to the Gov Future Podcast, highlighting discussions and insights around innovative technology impacting the public sector. Hear from experts working with and inside the government on ways that technology is shaping the future of the public sector. On this episode, we speak with Taylor Sear, Director of Public Sector and Education at Quantify, to explore how state and local governments are making use of advanced technologies, such as AI and automation. Learn about some of the challenges state and local governments face with emerging technology. Discuss some of the roadblocks facing technology adoption and how Quantify produces solutions that aim to create citizen-centric experiences. Stay tuned. Hello, and welcome to the GovFuture podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Mulch. And I'm your host, Ron Schmelzer, and we hope you've been enjoying the GovFuture podcast. We have so many episodes, both already recorded and queued up. So hopefully you are subscribed to GovFuture and you can hear all about these great interviews with public sector and technology thought leaders and hear some of the insights into how governments and public sector agencies and just in general, the various folks that we work with are adopting transformative technology. And of course, here are some conversations on key topics of this innovative technology, AI, automation, big data, cloud, cybersecurity, zero trust, IT modernization. Oh my goodness, so many great things to talk about. And that's what's driving innovation in the in the government. So we want to help our listeners understand what's happening there. And of course, our GovFuture members learn some of the latest innovations and best practices to stay ahead of innovation in the public sector. Exactly. And if you're not familiar with GovFuture and the GovFuture community, GovFuture is the fastest growing community of government innovators. And you can learn more at GovFuture.com. And we'll make sure to link to that in the show notes. But, you know, we do love this podcast because we get to have interviews with so many different people who are in that, you know, government and public sector ecosystem. And on today's episode, we're excited to have with us Taylor Sear, who's the director Public Sector and Education at Quantify. So welcome, and thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. We'd like to start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about your background and your current role at Quantify. Absolutely. So um, I've been working with government technology for over 10 years now. Uh, my previous role was related to biometric software and credentialing, so working with DMV, BMV agencies. I'm currently now with a company called Quantify. Uh, we work as a systems integrator for cloud vendors. And um, within the company, I oversee everything for sled and fed activities that we do. Well, that's fantastic. I think uh, one of the great things is that public sector agencies, and actually it's good to get some of that state and local uh, perspective, because a lot of times when you think of the government, you think of, of course, federal agencies and nationwide or defense or international agencies. But you deal with a lot. People deal with the local and state governments as much, if not more, than their federal agencies. And so it's good to get some of that uh, perspective. And I think, you know, perhaps let's start there, talk a little bit about, you know, what do you see as some of the most significant challenges that the public sector faces when it comes to any of these new technologies and modernization uh, from your perspective? Absolutely. So, um, you know, the first and most obvious example here is the data silos that exist across agencies. So in my previous role, you know, working with DMV, uh, typically that's the system of record for the state. So they're very used to having to share data across agencies, 
Um, but when you find, when you look at some of these other agencies, you find that they're not quite as used to that integration. I think that the pandemic was um, a great example of kind of exposing some of the lack of communication between these departments. Uh, so, for instance, if you're going, you're applying for unemployment, SNAP, TANF, there's going to be a lot of redundant information that you have to give all of these different uh, entities within the government. Uh, and especially as technology really advances, I think that we view ourselves more as a customer of these government services, and we expect a greater integration across functions, uh, which is something I'll talk about in a little bit. But, um, you know, another thing that I want to highlight as well is that, you know, kind of going into this data silo issue, there is rarely kind of a strong cloud plan or roadmap for agencies. Uh, I think the one of the important things is being able to understand which sensitive functions you might need to keep on prem and how to integrate that with other cloud data. Uh, a lot of times there's not a fully fledged multi cloud uh, roadmap either. So if you look at, eight, uh, at uh, commercial customers nowadays, oftentimes and pretty much uh, without exception, uh, there is some sort of multi-cloud presence there. They understand the different differentiation between different cloud platforms and they use them to their different functions. And I think that's something that government is now starting to catch up to as well. Yeah, you know, and we do like this perspective from all levels of government. You know, as Ron had mentioned earlier, a lot of times, you know, people may think of federal government, but state and local play just as much an important role with your everyday life and, you know, what's going on. We also really love examples because we like learning from others. That's part of what this ecosystem and community at GovFuture is all about, to learn from others, both in public and private sector. So how are you helping to create citizen-centric experiences? And can you provide an example of how you did this with a government agency? Absolutely. So um, kind of going back to what I said about uh, constituents now being thought of as customers of government services. Uh, a lot of times when we're seeing these data silos, we're seeing these lack of communications between different entities within government. Um, what we're seeing is that kind of creates a lack of ability to create self-service options for people. Um, you know, a lot of times when people think about AI and self-service, there's, um, you know, a lot of concern, uh, you know, will AI take my job? Will this be able to do something as functionally as, you know, a human is able to do? And one of the things that I always really like emphasizing here is that the self-service options that kind of get powered by AI, those are the functions that can easily be done by, you know, a, a robot or by through automation. Uh, when really what that allows is instead of employees to be doing things that might be more simple tasks, such as data entry, answering simple questions, uh, it really allows them to instead to focus on some of those high value add tasks. Uh, one example of this was during the pandemic. So we worked with the Illinois Department of Employment Security. So at the, the start of the pandemic, there were so many people that were filing for unemployment claims that you were only able to file one day if your name was A through L, another day if it was M through C. Um, so this information can be readily available online. But what we found was that a lot of people who might be older, uh, don't have the skills or the access to the internet, weren't able to understand this. They were dealing with uh, hour plus long phone queues for people just to get this simple information. 
So what we did is we, we deployed in two weeks a very simple solution for them that would allow them to uh, be able to get some of those base level uh, pieces of information, their FAQs out to constituents and avoid a lot of the uh, length of time that people were having to sit on the phone. What we were able to do from there was um, expand the functionality, providing self-service options, such as checking the status of your claim. Kind of back to what I was saying about, you know, uh, allowing humans to work on high value add tasks. Uh, you know, if someone's answering the phone and just looking something up like that, they'd much more be useful uh, if they're able to deal with a more intricate uh, discussion with the customer. Um, another example that I want to highlight as well is we worked with uh, another state DOL agency. Uh, they were setting up what they called an excluded worker fund. Um, so set aside a, a couple billion dollars for people who are not federally uh, able to access unemployment funds, essentially because the federal uh, government had uh, invested money within their uh, state employment's unemployment system. We built a whole new one, uh, including all the voice technology I kind of alluded to before, uh, document AI on the background to help with the processing of the forms that come in, uh, fraud function to make sure that any uh, obvious fraud was being highlighted um, and uh, was very successful within that. Yeah, that sounds great. I mean, when I think of state agencies, um, efficiency is not usually the first thing you think of. I don't want to single out state or local agencies for that. But people are very familiar with these services, whether you're you talk about the DMV experience, which has traditionally been painful, although I have to say, I had to go to the I'm in Maryland, the MVA for a uh, a new driver's license to get the real ID. I had to finally got my old ID converted over and it took like five minutes. It was super fast. I was very impressed uh, because what they did is a lot of what you're talking about. They already had some of the data. They don't need to re-enter the data. You know, it's just a matter of, of collecting some new information, which they could do in advance. Have me submit some forms. Have me do some things. This is this is smart use of technology, right? You don't need to re-enter and type in all those things and get ahead of it. And then they could spend their time at the agency doing what they had to, taking a photo. I guess they didn't want me to take my own photo, although you never know. Maybe in the future, folks like Quantify might build a little app for your mobile phone, take your own driver's license photo. That might be interesting. But um, but I, I want to get into that because it connects a lot of the themes that we've talked about here. Some of it has to do with automation. Some of it has to do with analytics. Some of it has to do with in terms of doc AI, which is using AI and machine learning to gain more value from uh, you know, un super, you know un unstructured data and documents and things like that. And I think that really helps us think about uh, this this idea of we're really focusing more on data and being more data driven. I think that's sort of the, the the theme that ties a lot of that together. So talk me talk a little bit about about the challenge of getting maybe state agencies, local agencies, to become more data centric, to think more in terms of being data centric. Maybe just in general, the employees that may not think of themselves as knowledge workers and IT workers, but that person who was working with me. At the Maryland MVA was every bit an IT person as the person who was building the backend system. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, when when you talk about data-driven decision-making, I think the value of that is very clear. Uh, I think the main issue that really comes up is people don't understand how to use the data they have and also how they can be collecting data that's more specific to those decisions that they're looking to make. 
So uh, when dealing with this and working with an agency, working with the customer, you have to be consultative. Uh, you know, you start with the business problem, uh, ask them about what data could impact that decision making and follow up to understand where that data lies, which, you know, can be easy to say, but can be a, a difficult task to track down. Um, you know, once you've got that in mind, what you can do is really isolate some use cases that are targeted to harvest or highlight those specific types of data that they're really looking to take advantage of. Uh, so one example that we did, we worked with a DOT customer uh, for hotspots on traffic accidents. And what we were able to find was that there was a lot of information that uh, the customer had. So they understood um, where these accidents were happening. They understood, you know, obviously speed limits, all of these very kind of straightforward factors that played in. Um, what they didn't have was the ability or wherewithal to bring in some of these external data sources like weather conditions, um, some other traffic related things coming from, you know, other external sources. And what that was able to do was identify several different variables that had a notable impact on the accident probability. So it wasn't necessarily that, you know, this hairpin turn was problematic because it was only really problematic when there was an ice storm. Uh, so what it did was it really allowed them to think about the way that they manage their assets, the way that they uh, manage traffic flow, things like that and uh, gave them a, a much better perspective, but also got them thinking about how do we collect the types of data that we really need? You know, what is it that is going to make a difference? And uh, rather than just dealing with what's in front of you, uh, really thinking about what, what you want to have and, and what you can be doing with the data. You know, it's always interesting. And on some other podcasts that we've had, we we talk about data. It's a central theme in these podcasts. And, you know, somebody else said not all data is created equal. I think that's uh, something that a lot of people say and that some data is, uh, you know, maybe more valuable than other data or you can, you know, look at it and interpret it differently. But I think it all comes down to data literacy, what kind of resources you have, and you can only do so much. And sometimes state and local governments just have limited resources that maybe they don't have the right, you know, skill sets on staff, or they need to hire more and they they have trouble attracting that talent. So what do you see as some of the challenges that state and local governments face with the use of adoption of advanced technologies? And, and maybe is it unique to them? Have you kind of seen this more broadly uh, across, you know, larger agencies and federal government as well, if you have some insights there or even private sector? Absolutely. So I think that we're definitely seeing a paradigm shift with the way that governments are thinking about um, data, technology, all of the above. Um, you know, before it was, you know, we're doing our best to offer constituents this service. What we're able to provide to them is what we're able to provide. Um, but now, you know, again, the, people are thinking a lot more like uh, commercial entities, you know, constituents first. I think the, the shift has been more towards acting and reacting similar to the way a private organization would uh, around expectations from the constituents. Because at the end of the day, um, you know, there are all these other different ways to augment things. Um, you know, we're, we're also, too, I think, coming to a critical mass of adoption, especially around AI for public sector. Um, you know, just by design, it's not intended to be at the bleeding edge. But as technology becomes more advanced, it becomes more democratized, more accessible. And 
um, you know, more obvious as to how it's going to be used uh, within that public sector function. Uh, a couple of examples that I want to highlight there, and certainly one that everyone's talking about now is generative AI. Uh, so with BARD, ChatGPT, all of this, um, you know, there's there's a lot of customers, especially on the commercial side of things, that are trying to figure out, hey, how can I really use this for, you know, my business purposes? And the reality of that is that right now, um, you know, you can't predict what it's going to say. So you don't want to have some constituent calling in asking about their unemployment benefits and set, set them up with chat GPT because you don't know what it's going to say to them. So, uh, you know, I think the evolution, the way that I see that path going and kind of similar to a way a lot of other technologies have evolved in the public sector is how can this kind of shortcut or short circuit some of my processes in a way that makes them much more efficient, much more manageable, um, things like that. Uh, the other one that I really want to highlight here, too, is that, you know, back in, I, I keep bringing this up, but the, the view of uh, constituents more as customers. So um, we've actually worked with a couple of different state agencies that are looking to brand cross all the different data that they have um, from their different agencies. And when you look at that, sometimes that can be, you know, 30 plus, you know, even up to 100 in some cases, data sets where you have to go and you have to identify this is this person and attach that to data that, you know, another agency has and be able to correctly identify that person. Because um, at the end of the day, if you go through this exercise and you're not doing it correctly, then it becomes a, a huge disaster. Um, but, you know, we are seeing that a lot more states are looking to do that. And that really gives you a, a plethora of options related to it as well, because now not only are you making the constituent experience easier and you're giving that information to other agencies, but you're able to make more conclusions as well. So, you know, when you're looking at what is that next piece of technology that I want to invest in, you have a much more holistic view as to what that looks like, what the benefit will be, and how people will be able to use that. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, you brought up the use of, of course, large language models are making the news. And it's interesting because, you know, we've, we've all been covering AI for a while, and AI is not that particularly new, but all of a sudden, it's as if this is just like emerged out of, out of nowhere, in part because the access to this par powerful technology is now so commoditized, and the models have gotten good enough and uh, access to it has become easier that now just the average Joe can create things and they can see firsthand a lot of that power, which of course gets people's you know thinking spinning here. But at our April 2023 GovFuture Forum event, so in, for our podcast listeners, in addition to the podcast and the content we have on the GovFuture site and all the things that we do with our members and our get-togethers and all this sort of great stuff, we also run a monthly forum event in person in the DC region. And at our April uh, 2023 event, we actually had this topic of can agencies or should agencies use large language models? And to your point, we actually had the chief data officer of the state of Maryland, uh, Pat McLaughlin, who said that they are trying to be restrictive about it. He didn't actually say outright prevent, outright ban, although Scott Beliveau from the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, they're putting an outright hold, like do not use this for responses or anything like that. No GPT because of the uh, GPT can be confidently wrong about something, right? 
but the state agencies, they're a little more more um, wait and see because they see, like, for example, there's lots of FAQs. You know, a lot of the inquiries that state agencies get are for things that are available on the site. And it would be nice to not have to tie up customer support help to answer basic things. But because they can't guarantee the accuracy of the results, you can't depend on it. And that, that leads them to be cautious, which means that that even though we have this seemingly powerful technology that's in the hands of anybody, you know, when you're getting calls from your mother or texts and she's saying, I heard about this chat GPT, you, you know, we've crossed some level of popular science here. <laughs> AI is uh, a little too uh, prevalent. But uh, I want to get into some of these 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 other roadblocks. So so you know we tend to think technology wise, but a lot of times the things that sort of prevent the use and adoption of technology have nothing to do with technology, but have to do with these other things we just talked about. So some of it may be process, some of it may be people, lack of sufficient skills, some of it may be ethical concerns. What what are you are you seeing? What are you seeing as the most common roadblocks? So the most common things that sort of prevent adoption of what might be very helpful technology. It might be automation or something like that. But something, what usually do you see gets in that in the way of making that work? I, I would say, uh, you know, a, a lack of understanding of how to use the tool. So, um, you know, we consider ourselves a consulting company. We call ourselves a systems integrator, but, you know, I, I'd really say more of a consulting company because at the end of the day, uh, even when a customer truly understands, you know, a, a conversational AI solution, a document AI solution, uh, there there is an issue with uh, thinking that this will just solve everything itself. And really, what it is meant to do, and where where it is, that, you know, and in an enterprise sense, right now, from a technology standpoint is being able to assist humans, which again, you know, so when you're using document AI, you can't expect it to just get all of the information correct. You have to be able to uh, implement a human in the loop system. It's not like an LLM where you want it to be creating its own conclusions that you're not able to control. Um, so I'd say that that, um, you know, I'd say that the availability of data, um, you know, going back to that is always a huge one. Um, usually it's somewhere, but finding out where that is, making sure that the right stakeholders are involved in making that decision can be a very difficult one. Um, and then, you know, to your process standpoint, you know, it's so often that we see people who have this ingrained process. This is the only way that they've known it. And while you can automate part of that, it kind of creates the need for thinking of that new process. So one of the things that we actually always do um, when we're working with customers like that is bring in some business analysts and other people that can help with that process identification and refinement. And, you know, how does that really go along with the technology? Because the technology itself is never going to be the end all be all. Yeah, well, this was such a great discussion. I We always, you know, like I said, we love these interviews because we get to pull in so many different insights and, you know, learn about state and local governments here as well. So before we wrap this up, we always like to ask this last final question. What do you see or hope to see as the future of technology and innovation in the government? Um, I would say that, you know, uh, uh, Accessibility is really, I think, one of the main things that technology has to offer, um, whether that's providing self-service options for people to 
uh, access their unemployment, their other social benefits, whether that is creating tools that do translation for web pages, making sure that you know people who would prefer to speak in a new language or have recently immigrated have access to understand the different functions that they have from government and also to just this dissemination of information um you know i think that there's a lot of different ways that technology can help uh get that information out to people help them uh make decisions in their life that will be valuable because you know we're talking about data data driven decision making um, you know, in the context of the government entity, but I think that uh, being able to help people make those same data-driven decisions is important as well. Well, that's fantastic. And, um, you know, hopefully make good decisions. I mean, uh, also what we're seeing in the news is is some some bad outcomes of bad decision-making, sometimes in really sad ways. I was, uh, for whatever reason, in the news lately are a bunch of uh, situations where elderly folks who may not necessarily either have had experience with technology or maybe they're suffering, you know, issues of dementia or, or, or other limited mental capacity. And the thing about technology is that it allows you to do great things really quickly, but also some pretty harmful things. People being scammed out of tens of thousands of dollars based on either deep fake calls or something I just saw today. Uh, people who who are having their their houses uh, being taken away by by flippers who 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 are taking preying on their inability to understand contracts and so uh, the sort of the, the the mirror side to accessibility is giving people who may have limited um understanding of the technology protecting them it's, it's i guess it's an aspect of accessibility but a little bit more protection uh from 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 technology so we're hoping we're seeing that too because sometimes clicking that little button uh, for transferring money is useful when you need it, but can be dangerous when you don't understand it. And all these AI systems and automation systems may may be facilitating that. So I'm hoping for those good outcomes. So uh, anyway, I really this was a bit of fantastic conversation because that last question we always ask it, and we get tons of different responses. They're always so thoughtful, always so impactful, and I just wanted to thank you so much for sharing your unique perspectives and your great insight into technology, especially from this stay and local perspective. So thank you so much for being a, a guest here on the Gov Future podcast. Of course, I've enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. We enjoyed it too. And listeners, if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please make sure to subscribe so you get notified of all of our upcoming episodes, as well as rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Also, if you're not already, you should consider becoming a GovFuture member to take advantage of all of that the community has to offer, including access to a diverse network of government innovators, opportunities to collaborate with government agencies, exclusive access to events and resources, and a platform to have a voice in shaping the future of government innovation. To sign up, you can go to govfuture.com slash join. We'll also make sure to link to that in the show notes as well. We've got great resources if you're looking to get more insights and details on a range of technology that we discussed in this podcast and other topics as well. Check out our resources, books, courses, checklists, explainer videos, webinars, and more at govfuture.com slash resources, tailored for our GovFuture listeners. Again, that's govfuture.com slash resources, and we'll make sure to link to that in the show notes as well. To view this episode's show notes, find additional episodes, subscribe to this podcast, and join the fastest growing community of government innovators. Go to govfuture.com slash podcast.
This sound recording and its contents are copyright GovFuture, all rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod. Thanks for listening to the GovFuture podcast and catch you at the next episode.